I think it's important to stay open and never lose that sense of the joy in learning new things or trying stuff out. We have to always remember why we are doing what we are doing. What was the initial impetus for how we started? This is In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Corinne Lines, and I'm Suchi Srinivas. Each episode, we have meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital, business, and technology. This episode, we're speaking with Anjana Susarla, Professor of Responsible AI at the Michigan State University, Eli Broad College of Business. She is an expert in AI and machine learning, social media, and crowdsourcing. She's a passionate advocate for tackling gender AI bias by getting more women into the field from an early age. Anjana also speaks candidly about navigating her working life as a mother and the unique challenges of a career path in academia. Here's our conversation. So my name is Anjana Susarla. I um, am a professor of responsible AI at the Eli Broad College at Michigan State University. And I study various things like algorithmic bias and responsible artificial intelligence. I studied engineering as an undergraduate, but um, I became interested in the business world because during our undergraduate years, it was actually the time when there was economic liberalization in India. And there was a lot of, seems like, lot of interesting things were going on in the world of business. So my first job, I, right after college, I got my MBA. I was implementing this, like what was called enterprise resource planning, ERP um, software. Hence, it's really incredible. Some of the places I worked, they used to use manual processes and suddenly you bring in automation. It's like magic, it's kind of increased information visibility and what how things change. So I thought, let me get a PhD and do research. And, you know, I had some very uh, naive, maybe naive view of academia. (laughs) So I thought I'll write books. And so uh, that's how I joined the world of, you know, business academia. Let's also talk a little bit about your childhood and your early youth. You know, there were, um, I think, a lot of formative experiences over there. Can you share some of that with our listeners too? So my... Most formative experience in my life was when I was in high school. They were typical middle class family at that point. But suddenly there were a lot of financial problems in my family. So what had happened was uh, my parents bought a house in like the small village. And the place where I did all my schooling, it was um, a town called Kakinada, which is not a huge metropolis by any means. Kakinada itself was kind of a smaller city, but then I'm suddenly living in this rural place with like hardly any connection, no bus service or very spotty. And that's, I think, when I suddenly, it hit me that I should make something of my life. I wanted to go to good engineering school, maybe IIT, and living in some village outside Kalamazoo. And he's like, I want to go to MIT. That would be a very difficult thing to accomplish. So I think that looking back, that was the most formative experience in my life. But you persisted, right, Anjana? You persisted and you succeeded in um, going after that aspiration. So it feels like it built a lot of grit and resilience to go after sort of your dream. I think looking back, what I would take from that is also that 
you need to have some faith in yourself and you should not lose that bigger picture there's always lots of things that won't always work your way and sometimes things will work sometimes things won't work and rather than focus so much on outcomes just remember who you are and remember that you know i'm a person who had to face some challenges at some point so if you now look forward and ahead you know you're a woman in business in academia actually leading the way in some very leading edge topics what barriers and challenges have you faced have you continued to face as a woman one of the challenges you'll face i think probably in any profession is that there's so few women as we get into more senior positions and so there's always this informal network of contacts or people you can call on or just the, the kind of advice that you can get or some people to sound ideas it's a smaller set you're dealing with than the men of your age group that's always a challenge being women we are always hard on ourselves in terms of the work life balance we feel that we need to do more for our kids we have to be always there and at the same time as we are getting older our parents are getting older we face self imposed demands as well as expectations from society both and then there's so few of us in the senior positions that's very accurate in portraying i think you know as you said what more senior women face so now you talked about responsible ai and that's a wonderful word we hear a lot about ai tell our listeners a little bit about what would you mean by responsible ai so what i mean by responsible ai is ai that is trustworthy transparent explainable human centric safeguards privacy and security and all the sounds may be utopian but in my experience it is possible to do it there are wonderful initiatives examples in industry and you know there's very much awareness among the users as well as businesses so i think that's possible there's a way forward Well, you know, you're right to use the word utopian because, you know, there's a lot out there which is sort of the doomsday AI scenario, right? AI is going to grow up, artificial general intelligence take over the world and that's the end of humanity. So it's very refreshing to hear, you know, about this field. What what is most interesting to you about this field? You know, what attracted you to it? What is interesting to me about responsible artificial intelligence? I would say it's just that when we hear about all these things like artificial general intelligence and so forth i feel that even self driving cars it's not like tomorrow we'll have a self driving car not in the next one or two i mean there are some self driving cars prototypes but they're not going to replace things that occur every day right now in the medium term whereas responsible artificial intelligence is very much something that concerns all of us every single day so if you think about even um, technology the way we use technology men and women use technology very differently in some countries you know women are not even don't even have access to a lot of mobile technologies so in india apparently there is a stark gender divide so likewise if you're building a sort of a profile of who a digital bank uh, should be lending to i mean since there's so much digitization everywhere are we making assumptions about behavior like we are assuming this is a this is fraud or this is a good creditworthy person 
But even an inclusive credit score using algorithms, that's something that has the impact to improve millions of people's lives. So that's where I think that our responsible AI is so important. And that's very immediate, very present today. You know, you talked about inclusivity. What are your thoughts about the current state of inclusivity of women in current state AI prevalent across society? We definitely need more inclusion at, at multiple levels. So one of the things we do see is that some of these very general purpose AI models, where is the training data coming from, right? And there are still like even images, image recognition, the gender biases are so prevalent. The models we are building, the training data we are getting, the assumptions we are making, and then the use cases, how is the AI being deployed without some sort of a audit or responsibility checklist or model cards? So those are kind of the issues that affect inclusion, in my opinion. So needless to say, there isn't a lot of inclusivity and thought about this in current state AI. Why is this a huge problem for society? What is the societal implication, Anjana, if this goes unchecked? The societal implications can be this basically a kind of algorithmic discrimination or um, let's say you are a consumer and um, the biases in AI are keeping you from getting a loan or um, doing something else or getting a job. So you're not also realizing your potential because of disparities that exist in the use of algorithms. So I think that there is a potentially net negative welfare right, to society by not tapping into talented individuals. We're not hiring good employees. We're not giving loans to good customers. And similarly for firms, they are losing out on a lot of wonderful opportunities for doing business. So eventually, it's just the loss of economic opportunity, the lack of achievement of the ultimate, and everything does translate into economics too at the end of the day, right, along with society. That makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about your views on combating this data gap, right? I think one of the things you said is to get more women into programming, into coding is is a way to start to address some of these problems. Can you say a little bit more about uh, how we can begin to chip away at this? Yeah, I think that we do see there are some initiatives to get women into STEM careers and so forth maybe even in colleges. But I think one basic pipeline problem is still, even for women who enter STEM careers, there's a leaky pipeline, as they say, what happens after they join the workforce. And once women have children, that sort of like career advancement, do we have career flexibility options? And some people have said even having more role models at a young age makes a sort of very important uh, difference. So what do you think could be done, right? I mean, the problems seem very vast and enormous. What are some actions that can start to, you know, get more women into these fields, get more women into programming and start to address some of these gaps? If uh, kids will get the exposure to how much algorithms shape their lives and that awareness would be like really important because I think sometimes 
you know, everyone thinks of STEM as it's like one of those coding occupations that people just sit in some, you know, back room somewhere and writing piece of code. Whereas now AI is just so all pervasive and, and so intertwined with so many aspects of business and everyday life that I think that awareness will help. If you're a designer, you are still using AI. And I think to the extent that people understand, then it's seen less of something tech, but anyone can have a career in STEM-related fields. I love the point about awareness, right? Which is the first step even before sort of then the education and the technical methods. Let's come back and talk about, you know, you pointed out that you were rather naive, I guess, in um, entering academia, you know, maybe with some stars in your eyes. And so let's just talk a little bit about uh, back to your journey. Is finding a mentor a little bit different in academia than in business? How easy or how difficult was it? What was that experience like? Yes, um, I think in academia, what happens is, you know, as a doctoral student, you're you have some training, but then later on, uh, process of getting tenure is somewhat entrepreneurial where you have to build your own research team, publish papers and work with maybe companies, get grants, all that. Nobody really teaches you how to be <laughs> your own person. And I think the role of a mentor is if you're sort of getting repeatedly too many rejections or things are not working, someone who can help you make sense of that process. And fortunately for me, I found... Uh, some couple of very good mentors. And they sort of noticed uh, me in some conferences, etc. reached out and that that's how they became my mentors. So I was very fortunate because I do, when I first started publishing in my area, I used to be part of this quantitative group and I was one of the few, like one or two women in a 200 people in a room or something like that. So there were hardly any women who did the kind of work I did. So that was a challenge. And I think I'm immensely grateful to have found the other woman who mentored me. Here's a nugget then, right, is that in that journey where with the lack of prevalence of women in this field, for you to have the mentorship from another more you know, experienced woman in academia was really instrumental to help you find your path, get that perspective and be able to move ahead. We talk a lot about collaboration in business and teamwork. How does that look different or similar in academia? Maybe just as you wrap up your thoughts there. Yeah, in academia, you have to find your own collaborators. So again, like entrepreneurship, where how do you find the people to write grants or write papers or even doctoral students? So how do you make sure that doctoral students are interested in working with you? There is a lot of unstructured sort of collaborations. So I think for me personally, what helped is that I'm usually very open to talking to people. So if someone runs into me in some conference or I'm just like going to my office and someone stops me in the corridor and it's like, hey, you know, I have a question. And that question doesn't have to be about collaboration. What would you wrap up then as advice, advice you've received, advice based on your experience that you would recommend to our listeners as they contemplate potentially, you know, careers in academia or uh, related places? I think that in today's world, whether you're in academia or you know, there's just so much digital transformation that everyone is kind of like an academic because we have to learn so much. 
and i think that that's just accelerated so much in the last few years and at the same time there's also this kind of a idea that we are active on social media we post about ourselves or we have this kind of a public facing role and so there's too many different directions we are all pulled in so what is one piece of advice i can give i think the advice i would give is just i think it's important to stay open and never lose that sense of the joy in learning new things or trying stuff out you know we have to always remember why we are doing what we are doing what was the initial impetus for how we started that's what you said at the beginning too right is don't lose sight of the big picture don't lose sight of who you are and what drives you in staying authentic oh that's wonderful i'm just getting goosebumps listening to you it's awesome you know if you step back and think about a time in your life in your career when you were feeling really in your element like in control of that circumstance feeling like you crushed it is there a time that comes to your mind one of the things happened uh, to me was during the pandemic there were some points where you know i have to deal with children doing schooling from home i'm teaching i'm doing all my research collaborations and at the same time because of the pandemic and there was uh, this is even before the vaccines uh, were widespread so there was times when we were avoiding a lot of social contact so i did not have a nanny babysitter so that was paradoxically the time that i felt most in control because i felt that somehow i was able to i would just go seamlessly from i'll get kids ready in the morning they will go to their online class and i would go to teach my classes and if kids sometimes will come and interrupt me and saying my zoom i'm logged out of zoom which would happen a lot so i will just take one minute quick break from my class help them go back to teaching like nothing happened and then we'll take a break i'll just make some lunch for kids and they'll have some afternoon stuff that they used to do and i have to go back to my meetings i felt that there was a lot of control mainly because there was no uncertainty of what if suddenly babysitter doesn't show up what if i go somewhere and there is some problem it was a predictable but crazy routine and for me that worked that's awesome that sounds a bit like being superwoman right i think a lot of lot of women were in this situation and can relate to your experience anjana in different ways because that's what the pandemic really forced people to do but especially women who i think took the bulk of the child rearing and the caregiving responsibilities and so it's wonderful to hear you come out of that experience with that positive sense of control that's i think a wonderful way to look at it is there anything that um we haven't asked you that we should have that you'd like to share well, i can talk a little bit about my personal life for me the challenging thing was uh, i have twins and uh, my twins when they were born they were very underweight so one child had to be in the neonatal intensive care you know i think many we don't talk enough about how it's challenging for mothers dealing with postpartum um just even without twins that getting back to work trying to keep your sanity dealing with sleep deprivation we've all been there it's immense and then to come into work and get into your next meeting and as though life just went on but behind it all is so much 
was our conversation with Anjana Susarla. Corinne, what are some of your key takeaways from this conversation? She's such an intriguing woman. She's done so many incredible things in her life already. I think um, her journey sort of from this rural town um, in the middle of sort of the countryside of India and sort of saying, where where are my goals? Where do I want to go? And I want to go to MIT and I have all these things that I want to accomplish and to see her path and her accomplishment. It's so impressive to to see the power of the mind and to focus on a goal and to say, this is the thing I want to accomplish and to see that track and the fulfillment of it and the realization of it. And the grit uh, and the resilience I thought was amazing to be able to persist in support of those objectives. Something that I found that was really interesting in your conversation was um, her talking about the balance that she felt and almost the control that she felt um, during the COVID time where she was sort of teaching a class in one room and her kids are in the next room, you know, doing their Zoom classes. And if they have an issue with their mic or whatever, she just tells her class, you know, I'll be back in just a minute. And she goes and manages that and that she felt extreme control there. That's interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it just turned the notion and definition of control on its head because when you step back and think about it, and I can really relate to this, right, as a working mom is, we're so dependent on nannies and the school or a daycare and what if the nanny's sick and can't come in and those are things so out of your control. And I loved how she turned that whole paradigm around and said, wow, this is under my control. I think that was just an amazing perspective for her to take control of what was probably still an uncomfortable situation as it was for all of us in COVID. Absolutely. And I and I have to say, I'm guilty of, of feeling the opposite, you know, of feeling like I'm out of control and feeling uncomfortable that I don't have the control to say, hey, I need to step away. And actually her giving that kind of permission to the women that are listening that this is acceptable and hey, I did this and this works. And then that giving us the confidence, you know, and hearing that. Yeah. You claim that to use your voice and action and claim that power, so to say, right, in a situation and create that sense of control. I think that was just amazing. Just amazing. So Suchi, what stands out to you the most about the conversation that you two had? I think she's on the cutting edge of You know, we're all beginning to experience um, what we variously heard as the next big industrial revolution, except this time it's the AI's industrial age. I'm sure you've heard of that. I saw that in the New York Times the other day. And to think that we're stepping into this massively tumultuous time of great change and not have an appreciation as a general population level for either the level of algorithmic control on our lives or the bias that's buried in all of this data that's driving everything it's actually at the same time so scary but then it's just so exciting to see a wonderful woman leader like her at the forefront of using her voice to speak out about this and educate and empower people with education i mean i can't think of a more impactful role that a woman could play well that's all for today this has been in her element a podcast from bcg Join us every episode to hear meaningful conversations with women leaders in digital, business, and technology. 